0: Well, today we again will be studying through these words here in Luke chapter 3. And here we'll be considering the importance of testimony, the importance that we place on testimonies. You know, testimonies uh, given by other people are most often the source by which you and I learn and understand most all the things that we know and, and understand about this world and everything in it. And over time, those testimonies from others have been written down for us, and they've been placed in textbooks, and they've been placed in our history books. And that is much the same with these precious words given within this book, the Bible. These words are the testimonies of men, ordinary men, much like we are. But with one thing that's added to make these words far more true and far more meaningful than any of those words that are recorded in our history books. The testimony within this book, our Bible, these are the testimonies of God himself, telling about himself, telling you and me about himself. Yes, they're told through the voices and through the experiences of ordinary men, but still they remain the exact and infallible testimonies of God himself. And we don't understand that very well, but it's true. It's true. It's God speaking through these men. And we're told about that in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Listen to these words. These are familiar to us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. All scripture, all scripture, every word within this book, all scripture... is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. What those words say, again, is that all of these words in this Bible were breathed out by God himself. And they're profitable to us, profitable for teaching us, they're profitable for reproving us, correcting us and training us in ways of righteousness so that you and I may be complete and we're equipped for every good work. These words were breathed out onto these pages, making these testimonies the most important and the most trustworthy testimonies that have ever been given. And these words never change, as does so much of the secular written history. Today, men and women daily are rewriting history to fit their own bias, to fit their own prejudice. Thankfully, that no such thing takes place within the words of our scripture. These words are immutable, immutable, unchangeable, the rock-solid truths of God. And that's why as we read these scriptures about the beginning days of the ministry of the Lord Jesus as we're studying here today, and about his messenger, John the Baptist. You and I must take these truths into our hearts and into our minds, and we need to treasure these truths with everything that we have within us. Now, over the past few weeks, as we've studied about the ministry of John the Baptist, we've heard a very strong and persuasive voice, him declaring to the people that they must repent and be baptized for the remission of uh, of their sins, because the kingdom of God was at hand. And though many of those people listening were not fully aware and didn't understand the exact meaning of the prophecies that John was preaching to them, they were still drawn there by the Holy Spirit in great numbers to be baptized by him. And yes, the kingdom of God really was, at that very moment, already at hand already amongst them even present among them on that particular day when John was baptizing these people and here in these next few verses that kingdom of God that John was prophesying about would be revealed in the very person of Jesus Christ and though the kingdom of God would not be immediately recognizable as a kingdom especially the kind of kingdom that those people of that day were hoping to see. But even so, this very ordinary looking man, and Jesus was a very ordinary looking man. This man that was coming to be baptized by John, he was the very embodiment of the kingdom of God. And may I say in the strongest of words that this man Jesus, he didn't just represent the kingdom of God. Jesus was and he is himself the very kingdom of God. Jesus himself was the very kingdom of God. Listen to the way that God the Father testifies about his beloved Son. This is Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, saying, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. As I pondered these words and considered the circumstances that were taking place that were leading up to the baptism of the Lord Jesus, my thoughts have often gone to all those secular commentators that I've read and heard over time. You can especially watch and listen to these people on programs like those that PBS offers. They genuinely want to describe God and talk about God. But it's obvious that they're talking about someone that they don't know a lot about. They can give a technical understanding of God, but that seems to be about all that they know. Now, many of those do really acquiesce to the existence of God or a God of some sort. But from there, their understandings and their beliefs seem to widely very often just go astray and sadly listen sadly many of those secular commentators probably grew up in churches much like this one sunday after sunday listening to these very same words being preached but then as they matured beliefs such as those that they had learned at a young age and like we're studying here today and they got lost And they lost their appeal to them, causing so many of them to question who God is. And especially they question the supernatural events. They can go along with natural events because that's natural to their mind. But when it comes to supernatural events, miracles like this one, they have a difficulty believing it. The voice of God thundering out of the heavens saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Many of those secular commentators also question other events recorded in in these scriptures. Especially, again, as I mentioned a moment ago, anything supernatural, any event that's supernatural, like the way God created this earth, and the way God created you and me. And they question accounts like Noah and the great flood. I can recall my biology teacher in the 10th grade, saying to us in the classroom that Jonah and the big fish, that was all just a story to make a point, much like some parable wasn't real. They question supernatural events. So many of them question the existence even of Moses, and especially him leading the children out of Egypt. And they especially don't seem to like the parting of the sea. So many skeptics. Most of those skeptical commentators seem unified, though, in their beliefs that unless some real scientific evidence is presented to substantiate the testimonies that are given within these scriptures, then these biblical testimonies are not worthy of belief. Or to put it another way, if the scripture, if these scriptures cannot be proven out by science, then we should believe the testimony of science and not the testimony of God given within these scriptures. As believers, you and I are often offended by scoffers such as that. I know that I am. And to some degree, I believe it's the right thing for us to do. But also with humility, you and I must remember that we also have our times of unbelief. I mentioned to you in an earlier message that I can vividly recall a time in my own life, several years after I had become what I would call a very devout believer. I was already working in the ministry at French Camp, very involved in giving the gospel to the kids there. But then, suddenly, I went through a very difficult time, a serious questioning of the truths within these scriptures. All sorts of thoughts filled my head. Was Jesus a real person. Did he really exist? And if he was real, did his crucifixion, and especially, did his resurrection really take place? My recovery from that ordeal came in a very simple way. I was brought back to the basics of truth when God's Spirit reminded me that every part of this Christianity of ours is based on one thing and one thing alone it's those words that I mentioned to you a moment ago. This Christianity of ours is based on one thing and one thing alone. It's the grace of God who gives us faith to believe. The grace of God who gives us faith to believe. Not science, not evidence, not proof, just the grace of believing faith in Christ and nothing else. I had to come to the conclusion that if I am to accept these truths, these claims, these promises within these scriptures, then I would have to do it from the springboard of by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And with that, God gave me peace about that whole matter. So then, no, you and I will probably never be able to effectively debate the matters of God with the intellectuals of this world using the arguments of empirical evidence of science, because we can no more explain God to someone than I can explain the deep love that I have for my wife, that you have for your loved ones. People can know how they feel about other people, but they can't know how you, in this deep love that you have for your loved ones, someone that you would even die for. Those are matters of the heart that are so individual, to each person, that no other person could grasp our true feelings. It's unexplainable. And so it is also with accepting and believing the existence and the workings of God. Folks, listen. God did not design his relationship with us in such a way as to allow it to be explained scientifically or in any other way. It truly is something that must be experienced to be believed. And that is done through faith alone. Through faith alone. But God is generous to make faith possible for you and me, for our souls. Listen to these words. Listen to this generous provision in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He tells us there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And listen. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. To those of us who truly want to believe, God gives us clear and convincing testimonies of His presence, His majesty, His love, and His grace. And as the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of our hearts to Him, then we will see those testimonies so clearly everywhere, all around us. Testimonies of who God is, And what he is doing on this earth that unbelievers cannot see. But you and I can. We have eyes to see because the Holy Spirit has given us those eyes to see. I'm reminded of a refrain that's throughout these scriptures. And especially in the Psalms that speak about the testimonies of the Lord. The testimonies of the Lord. Those acts and deeds that God has done that can clearly be seen by those of us who have a heart to know him and to trust him from the stars in the heavens. You and I can look at the stars in the heavens and we can appreciate God. But an unbeliever can look at those very same stars and they won't even think about God. It's sad. But also the circumstances of our daily lives, the blessings, everything that takes place in our daily lives. I walk around my house daily thanking the Lord for the, the treasures that he has given to me in my family, in my friends, in this church, in my dear wife. And then also the temporal provisions. A good house to live in, warm in the winter, cool in the summer, grass that grows. I love all of that, and I can see it. He gives us a generous provision of all of that so that we who believe in him believe that God truly is. And this is Hebrews chapter 11. God truly is, and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. I love those words. It's a sad thing, again, that our unbelieving friends are unable to accept these truths that we read here today in these scriptures. They do seem readily accepting and believing of other forms of historical writings. Few, if any of them, would ever question or deny the existence of George Washington or the stories that we've heard about him. And they say they believe in those historical accounts because there's all of this eyewitness testimony. But folks, listen. Eyewitness testimony is also true throughout all of these scriptures. Throughout all of these scriptures. These scriptures are filled to overflowing with eyewitness testimonies about the person and about the wonders of God. Beginning from those first words in this book of Luke that we've been studying recently, we can see testimony after testimony of the works and presence of God. Now granted, yes, these words, these words tell a different story than the history books that we read in our schools and in our libraries. These are far stranger stories than the ones we encounter in our history books. And yes, again, this story truly is different and mysterious, but we can still believe it. This is a story about a child, and especially here in the book of Luke. A child being born to a virgin, something you would not find in the secular history book. story about men and angels then coming and declaring about this newborn baby, who he was. He was the Messiah who would save sinners from their sin. It's also a story about a strange man, John the Baptist. You'll recall that John the Baptist was strange in that he only ate wild honey and locusts and he had clothes made out of camel's hair. And these stories, and especially, especially the ones we're reading about here with John the Baptist, these are stories telling about men and women who are coming to this strange man out there in the wilderness, crying out, in repentance for their sins. And folks, that's something you will never find in any historical writing, especially those that might be recorded about George Washington or someone like him. It's just not done. Only in here. But again, the difference is this thing that God has put within us, and he calls it faith. And that's why we can believe these things. Believing faith is absolutely essential to our relationship with God. Folks, the unbelieving, scoffing world would not admit. But even their accepting of the written secular history, all of that requires a form of faith. You and I, we're going to believe that Washington crossed the Delaware, was it? In the boat with those men. Or that he had maybe a wooden tooth. All of that's just stories. But we believe it. And we'll tell other people those same stories and we don't really know. But there's a difference here. We can believe this because the Holy Spirit lives within us and he tells us that it's true. He tells us that it's true. And again, all of these words of Scripture, they're testimonies, most of which are given by and through human writers. But I want to remind us that far above all of their testimonies is the testimony of someone far more trustworthy, the testimonies of God himself, declaring to us that yes, yes, this is God, and these are the things that he did, that he calls to be done throughout all of history. And especially, we can believe this one that we read about here today, where he declares the Lord Jesus to be his beloved son in whom he's well pleased. And folks, listen, to add validation to these testimonies of God here in the scripture text for today, God purposefully, you'll notice, does not present himself in a veiled way in this particular testimony that he gives here through nature or through some other viewing of the stars or whatever. This time, God is absolutely direct. This time, he leaves no room for doubt or question. This is truth in its purest form. His voice thunders out from heaven, declaring and introducing his beloved son, the Lord Jesus. But again, Here's where faith is an absolutely necessary ingredient. None of this can be believed without faith. And listen, once a person does break through that barrier into believing faith, all of these testimonies then really do start to fall into place and to take on real meaning. And then all that's left for us to do is to read, to read in these scriptures, to examine the truths of God, precious words of truth and suddenly everything is different for us everything these words of our scripture text today they're a dramatic and profound testimony given by god the father about his dearly beloved son i don't know who wrote the memoirs of george washington but we believe all the things that he or they said about him but this is the testimony of god the father about his beloved son. And we need to ask the question when we read these scriptures. What does God want us to learn about his son? That's the focal point of all of these scriptures, especially the New Testament. Listen to these words again of our text. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. With these few words, God is beginning to reveal secret truths about his dear Son. One of those truths is, and I asked this question myself when I first read this, if John's baptism was being first for repentance, because it's what he called out to people to do. To come and be baptized and cleansed from their sins. And he called them to repentance. Why did Jesus, why did Jesus, who had never sinned, had no sin to repent for, why did he need to be baptized? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why did he come there to John to be baptized? You recall that in another one of the Gospels that, that John said to him, oh no, I need to be baptized by you. Let it be so that the, the scriptures will be fulfilled in all righteousness. So Jesus then was coming to be baptized, but he had no sin to repent for. Now we know that his baptism was the right thing to do because the first thing that we see here is that God the Father himself gives this thundering approval, declaring, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. One of the reasons is the words that he said to John when John asked him, Why don't you baptize me instead? These are the words that are in Galatians chapter 4. When in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus willingly submitted himself to fulfill these purposes. We don't quite understand why it was necessary. But he's saying, I'm a human. I was born in human form. And so I'm under the law, just as all men and women are under the law. And so I need to be baptized. It had to do with his humanity. In his human condition, he himself was not sinful in his nature or in his conduct or in his behavior. But his flesh, his flesh was still corruptible. Here was a holy and righteous person living within the flesh of a corrupt human form. And in order to fulfill all of the righteous requirements of the law, those are the words that he said to John the Baptist, in order to fulfill all of the righteous requirements of the law, Jesus knew that it was required of him to go through the same cleansing baptism as did all the other men and women. And he was doing it also as a witness to all who were there that day, but also to you and me. And so that's why each of us must be baptized. It's not a requirement for salvation, but it is a requirement in obedience to him. Another reason that the baptism was necessary was to fulfill the requirements that all priests had to observe. That of the ceremonial washing as they entered into the Holy of Holies. They would walk by those labors and they would wash their hands before they would enter into intercessory prayer. Now, Jesus did not need to do that. Truly, he did not. His own righteousness was sufficient, and he needed no cleansing. But again, his baptism was a demonstration, a testimony for all men, and especially for all priests to see and to follow. Jesus was the great high priest, we're told, who entered into the Holy of Holies by the strength and the power of his own perfect holiness. This testimony from God involving Jesus' baptism was important, especially to provide an opportunity for God to openly declare that Jesus was his son, his only begotten son, that he beloved so much, that he was so well pleased with. No one else, folks, no one else in all of time and history would enjoy such a declaration. Jesus is the one and only begotten son of the Father, Yes, you and I, listen, you and I get to be sons of God as Jesus brings many sons to glory, as the Scripture tells us. But you and I are adopted sons. We're adopted. Jesus is the only true Son. Only He has the blood of God the Father coursing through His veins. And only about Him could it be said that you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now lastly... These scriptures give us a testimony of God's willingness to come and live within us, to be our comfort, our abiding helper. That was demonstrated as the Holy Spirit came to inhabit the Lord Jesus as he descended upon him there after he was baptized. The Holy Spirit will live in us eternally. Now, finally, may I say again, the testimonies, are God's way of openly declaring himself to us. All we need to do is to look around us at any moment and we could see his presence being manifested. But folks, this is also the very best testimony that God gives to us. These that are written in these words, breathed out by God onto the pages of these scriptures. And you and I should be ever and always eager to open up the pages of this book and feast upon these words. And it's my prayer, it's my prayer that each day, if you don't have a good habit of spending a good amount of time, not not an obligatory amount of time, but a reasonably good amount of time studying these words every day, you do need to develop that habit. That's a very good habit to have. And it's my prayer that that would take place in your life. Let me close with these words. Eye has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to through his spirit. Let me pray.